Section 29 of Our Cats and All About Them. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jadopi. Our Cats and All About Them by Harrison Weir. Section 29 Performing Cats. Cats, unlike dogs, are not amused by, nor do they in any way take an interest in, what are termed tricks. Performing dogs will sit about their master watching anxiously for their turn, and they have been known on more than one occasion to slip before the dog that has next jumped through the hoop or over a stick barking merrily, exulting in having excelled the other. Generally they await with intense eagerness the agility of the others and strenuously try to surpass them. Possibly this is so from the long time the dog has been under the dominion of man, and taught by him how to be of service, either in hunting, sporting, shepherding, watching, in a sense, his friend, though more his bond or slave, even to dragging carts, wagons and sleighs, to fetch and carry, even to smuggle. Long teaching, persistent teaching, from time immemorial, has undoubtedly had its due effect, and in some instances, if not all, has been transmitted, such as in the pointer and setter, which particular sections have been known to require little or no present training, taking to their duties naturally, receiving but little guidance as to how much, when, and where such instinctive qualities are required. With the cat it is widely different. Beyond being the necessary cat, the pet, cat, or kitten, it never has been an object of interest, beyond that of keeping from increase those veritable plagues, rats and mice. The enormous use it has thus been to man has had but scant acknowledgment, never thoroughly appreciated, vastly underrated, but with little attention not only to its beauty, nor in modifying its nature to the actual requirements of civilization. The cat, through long ages, has had, as it were, to shift for itself, with the few approved, with the many not only neglected, but in bygone days, and within some, even in the present, it has been, and is looked on as a thing that is not to be cared for, or domesticated, but often absolutely ill-treated, not because there has been wrong done, but because it is a cat. I heard a man of gentle blood, once say that there was no good in a cat, and the only use they were, as far as he could see, was as an animal to try the courage of his terriers upon. Happily, all are not alike, and so the cat survives, and by the present generation is petted and noticed with a growing interest. Though long closely connected with man in many ways, still, as I have said before, it has been left to itself to a certain degree, in no way, or but slightly, has it been guided, and thus, as a domestic animal, it has become what it is, one repelling most attempts to make it of the same kind of value as the dog. Its great powers of observation, coupled with timidity, make a barrier to its being trained into that which its nature dislikes, and its natural and acquired repugnance to confinement and tuition prevent it, at least at present, from being the humble servant, as the dog, past and present, has been and is. Studying closely the habits of the cat for years, as I have, 
I believe there is a natural sullen antipathy to being taught or restrained or made to do anything to which its nature or feelings are averse. And this arises from long-continued persecution and no training. Try, for instance, to make a cat lie still if it wants to go out. You may hold it at first, then gently relinquish your grasp, stroke it, talk to it, fondle it until it purrs, and purrs with seeming pleasure, but it never once forgets it is restrained, and the first opportunity it will make a sudden dash, and is gone. However, all animals, more or less, may be trained, and the cat, of course, is among them, and a notable one. By bringing them up among birds such as canaries, pigeons, chickens, and ducklings, it will respect and not touch them, while those wild will be immediately sacrificed. One of the best instances of this was a small collection of animals and birds in a large cage that used to be shown by a man by the name of Austin, and to which I have already referred. This man was a lover and trainer of animal life, and an adept. His happy family generally consisted of a cat or two, some kittens, rats, mice, rabbits, guinea pigs, an owl, a kestrel falcon, starlings, goldfinches, canaries, etc., a most incongruous assembly. Yet among them all there was a freedom of action, a self-reliance, and an air of happiness that I have never seen in performing cats. Mr. Austin informed me that he had been a number of years studying their different natures, but that he found the cats the most difficult to deal with, only the most gentle treatment accomplishing the object he had in view. Any fresh introduction had to be done by degrees, and shown outside first for some time. It was quite apparent, however, that the cats were quite at their ease, and I have seen a canary sitting on the head of the cat, while a starling was resting on the back. But all are gone, Austin and his pets, and no other reigns in his stead. Occasionally one sees at the corners of some of the London streets a man who professes to have trained cats and birds. The latter certainly are clever, but the former have a frightened, scared look, and seem by no means comfortable. I should say the tuition was on different lines to that of Austin. The man takes a canary, opens a cat's mouth, puts it in, takes it out, makes the cat or cats go up a short ladder and down another, then they are told to fight, and placed in front of each other. But fight they will not with their forepaws, so the master moves their paws for them, each looking away from the other. There is no training in this but fear. There is an innate timidity, the offspring of long persecution in the cat that prevents, as a rule, its performing in public. Not so the dog. Time and place matter not to him. From generation to generation he has been used to it. In Cats Past and Present, by Chamfleury, there are descriptions of performing cats, and one, Valmont de Beaumere, mentions that in a booth at the fair of Saint-Germain, during the 18th century, there was a cat concert, the word miaulique in huge letters being on the outside. In 1789 there is an account of a Venetian giving cat concerts, and the facsimile of a print of the seventeenth century picturing a cat showman. In 1758, or the following year, Bisset, the famous animal trainer, hired a room near the Haymarket, at which he announced a public performance of a cat's opera, 
supplemented by tricks of a horse, a dog, and some monkeys, etc. The cat's opera was attended by crowded houses, and Bisset cleared a thousand pounds in a few days. After a successful season in London, he sold some of the animals, and made a provincial tour with the rest, rapidly accumulating a considerable fortune. Mr. Frost's Old Showman Many years ago a concert was given at Paris, wherein cats were the performers. They were placed in rows, and a monkey beat time to them. According as he beat the time, so the cats mewed, and the historian of the fact relates that the diversity of the tones which they emitted produced a very ludicrous effect. This exhibition was announced to the Parisian public by the title of Concert Miaulant, Zoological Anecdotes. Another specimen of discipline is to be found in menageries. The writer says, Cats may be taught to perform tricks, such as leaping over a stick, but they always do such feats unwillingly. There is at present an exhibition of cats in Regent Street, who, at the bidding of their master, an Italian, turn a wheel and draw up water in a bucket, ring a bell, and in doing these things begin, continue, and stop as they are commanded. But the commencez, continuez, arrêtez of their keeper is always enforced with a threatening eye, and often with a severe blow, and the poor creatures exhibit the greatest reluctance to proceed with their unnatural employments. They have a subdued and piteous look, but the scratches upon their master's arms show that his task is not always an easy one. Of performing cats on the stage, there have been several companies of late in London, one of which I went to see at the Royal Aquarium, Westminster, and I am bound to say that the relations between master and cats were on a better footing than any that have hitherto come under my notice. On each side of the stage there were cat kennels, from which the cats made their appearance on a given signal, ran across, on or over, whatever was placed between, and disappeared quickly into the opposite kennels. But about it all there was a decided air of timidity, and an eagerness to get the performance over and done with. When the cats came out they were caressed and encouraged, which seemed to have a soothing effect, and I have a strong apprehension that they received some dainty morsel when they reached their destination. One ran up a pole at command, over which there was a cap at the top, into which it disappeared for a few seconds, evidently for some reason, food perhaps. It then descended, but before this supreme act several cats had crossed a bridge of chairs, stepping only on the backs, until they reached the opposite house or box into which to retire. The process was repeated, and the performance varied by two cats crossing the bridge together, one passing over, and the other under the horizontal rung between the seat and the top of the chair. A long plank was next produced upon which was placed a row of wine-bottles at intervals, and the cats ran along the plank, winding in and out between the bottles, first to the right, then to the left, without making a mistake. This part of the performance was varied by placing on the top of each bottle a flat disc of thick wood. One of the cats strode then from disc to disc, without displacing or upsetting a bottle, while the other animal repeated its serpentine walk on the plank below. The plank being removed, a number of trestles were brought in, and placed at intervals in a row between the two sets of houses, 
when the cats, on being called, jumped from trestle to trestle, varying the feet by leaping through a hoop, which was held up by the trainer between the trestles. To this succeeded a performance on the tightrope, which was not the least curious part of the exhibition. A rope being stretched across the arena from house to house, the cats walked across in turn without making a mistake. Some white rats were then brought and placed at intervals along the rope. When the cats, recrossing from one end to the other, strode over the rats without injuring them. A repetition of this feat was rendered a little more difficult by substituting for rats, which sat pretty quietly in one place, several white mice and small birds, which were more restless, and kept changing their positions. The cats recrossed the rope and passed over all these obstacles without even noticing the impediments placed in their way. With one or two exceptions, when they stopped, and cosseted one or more of the white rats, two of which rode triumphantly on the back of a large black cat. Perhaps the most odd performance was that of Cat Harris, an imitator of the voice of cats in 1747. When Foote first opened the Haymarket Theatre, amongst other projects, he proposed to entertain the public with imitation of cat music. For this purpose he engaged a man famous for his skill in mimicking the mewing of the cat. This person was called Cat Harris. As he did not attend the rehearsal of this odd concert, foot-desired Shooter would endeavor to find him out and bring him with him. Shooter was directed to some court in the minories where this extraordinary musician lived, but not being able to find the house, Shooter began a cat solo. Upon this the other looked out of the window and answered him with a cantata of the same sort. "'Come along,' said Shooter. "'I want no better information than you are the man. Foot stays for us. We cannot begin the cat opera without you.'" Castles Old and New London, Volume 4 Cat Racing in Belgium on festival days, parties of young men assemble in various places to shoot with crossbows and muskets, and prizes of considerable value are often distributed to the winners. Then there are pigeon clubs and canary clubs for granting rewards to the trainers of the fleetest carrier pigeons and best warbling canaries. Of these clubs, many individuals of high rank are the honorary presidents, and even royal princes deign to present them banners without which no Belgian club can lay claim to any degree of importance. But the most curious thing is cat racing, which takes place, according to an engraving, in the public thoroughfare, the cats being turned loose at a given time. It is thus described. Cat racing is a sport which stands high in popular favor, in one of the suburbs of Liege, it is an affair of annual observance during carnival time. Numerous individuals of the feline tribe are collected, each having round his neck a collar with a seal attached to it, precisely like those of the carrier pigeons. The cats are tied up in sacks, and as soon as the clock strikes the solemn hour of midnight, the sacks are unfastened, the cats let loose, and the race begins. The winner is the cat which first reaches home, and the prize awarded to its owner is sometimes a ham, sometimes a silver spoon. On the occasion of the last competition, the prize was won by a blind cat. Pictorial Times, June 16, 
1860. End of section 29. Recording by Jadopi. www.jadopi.wordpress.com.